Welcome back to The Signature of Man, a podcast dedicated to pursuing truth in the philosophy of art and beauty. This is episode 5 of The Signature of Man podcast, and I'm your host, Miguel Benitez Jr. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Michael Spiker. Dr. Spiker is a philosopher, writer, editor, and artist in the Boston area. He writes and speaks about beauty, the sublime, aesthetic experience, and taste for academic and non-academic audiences. Currently, he's working on a book on aesthetic taste. In addition to writing, he serves as an editor for the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy and the Leonardo Electronic Almanac. He also lectures at Boston Architectural College and Massachusetts College of Art and Design. Believing aesthetics is important, he founded the Aesthetics Research Lab to showcase ways that aesthetics impacts different areas of our lives and society. In this episode, Dr. Spiker and I discuss the Aesthetics Research Lab and the importance of aesthetics beyond the arts. Dr. Spiker, thank you for joining me uh, today and spending some time with me to discuss aesthetics. It's my pleasure. We're, we're trapped inside. We might as well talk, talk online. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, um, if you're listening to this, we are currently during that time in which we're dealing with the coronavirus. And so we are social distancing and uh, trying to do all the right things to, to help us get through this this period. So first of all, maybe just let us know a little bit about uh, your background and how you were initially drawn to the field of aesthetics. Okay. Well, I grew up in the arts, basically. I painted, I played music. Um, uh, I never really acted a whole lot, but I, I dabbled a little bit here and there, but uh, mostly uh, painting and music and um, to the point where a lot of people, I think, thought I was going to go off to art school. And um, anyway, fast forward a bunch of years, I had a professor who was teaching a class that had absolutely nothing to do with aesthetics or art. And um, he made a side comment about beauty. And he, I still remember, he, he sort of said, yeah, and beauty couldn't possibly be in the eye of the beholder. And then he moved on. <laughs> and, yeah. and I was, so first of all, be careful if you're a professor what you say. Right. <laughs> it could cause someone to study this for the next like 20 years. Right. Um, but also it, it got me thinking because I was, you know, being coming from a background in art, I thought that's a crazy thing to say. Yeah. Um, and so I, I taught. He turns out he was a realist for those into philosophy, but sure. um, so I challenged him on it a little bit, and you know, being not at that point very untrained in philosophy, um, I think I, I maybe had read a little Kierkegaard, and that's about it. Right. But um, so he always had a really compelling argument, and then it opened my eyes to this vast amount of literature. Um, so it started with his comment. I wrote a paper for him in that class. Uh, it turned to a master's thesis and then it turned into a, finally a PhD dissertation on aesthetics. So that's sort of how I got into it initially. Yeah, that's so interesting because I would say I had a similar situation. So I'm not an artist. Um, I have great appreciation for art and I, I found myself drawn, but really it was kind of a throwaway comment of a professor that I had on this issue that kind of started me on my own journey and studying it further. So, so yeah, as you said, um, teachers, professors can certainly 
change people's trajectory just by even their throwaway comments uh, that they just make on the side there. Yeah, and, and even um, about that specific comment, I should yeah. add something small about it is, uh, so he definitely believed uh, beauty ha- was objective. Yeah. Uh, not that he thought there was like a list of rules, sure. like this, you know, or right. anything, nothing quite so rigid, but, but it, it at least I think what it taught me about philosophy though, was that, we, we kind of all hear the expression beauty's in the eye of the beholder and right. just kind of take it for granted and don't even really think about it. Yeah. It's often how I start my philosophy of art and aesthetics courses is, uh, is mentioning that phrase and say, um, this is, um, I, I always call it an unquestioned assumption. Yeah. And so I soon I say, well, let's question it. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. we'll still agree with it, but at the, at the very least we should consider whether or not it's actually true or what makes it true. Cause I think either way, it's not as simple as, the, the statement but anyway yeah. no like absolutely no and i appreciate that and and, and I'll, I'll just point our listeners and i'll put it in the show notes one of my earlier episodes i interviewed josh herring and he and i have a discussion about beauty but yeah i i would say that this idea that uh beauty is in the eye of the beholder would be kind of the dominant position it's one i hear from all my students and, and it's just kind of it's what they've been told or or kind of the 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 classic phrase of you know beauty is something that we can't argue about or something you know along mm-hmm. those lines and so the idea that the these matters of tastes are not uh, things to be argued about and and so um, certainly I can appreciate how that could pique someone's interest and and perhaps that could be a discussion for another day I mean that's a big part of what this podcast tries to explore. But in particular today, uh, what I'd like to talk to you about is the Aesthetics Research Lab. And what is the Aesthetics Research Lab? Well, I guess I'll, um, to kind of clarify that a little bit, um, it's something I started, a project I started a while ago, and it was, it was very, very slow start, but uh, the idea behind it was to advocate and educate about the role that aesthetics plays in the broader areas of our lives or the less thought about areas. So to kind of um, explain what that means is, as I said, I have an art background. And so studying aesthetics, I kind of always assumed that art people are my people, you know? And then uh, when I moved, uh, I moved to Boston in 2015 and Within that year, I just encountered a couple different people and two of them in separate conversations said, I think architects and designers are your people. <laughs> and, Interesting. Um, so it made me realize that actually when it comes down to it, as much as I personally love to create and, uh, and appreciate art, I really love aesthetics and I want to show people how beyond the beyond the context of art how aesthetics is is valuable um so what i've done and so far is i've begun to collect articles mostly articles but by different people from areas of business evolutionary biology marketing trying to think of what else now (laughs) uh prisons right (laughs) prisons yeah to show how aesthetics plays a role in a role in these various uh, contexts that you don't often associate with aesthetics, and so that was that was the main goal. And uh, it starts it started out as more of like my project. I'm hoping to slowly turn it into something that is much more collaborative. We just this week released our first guest post um, okay. um, on aesthetics in diverse um, 
aesthetics in diversity or in adversity. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, um, so the, the idea is that it becomes a, a larger thing, and, and hopefully, I've, I've already been in, in talks with people that work in business and other areas of coming and, and collaborating, whether in writing or speaking, to to show to, to try and promote aesthetics in these contexts that you don't often think of as having to do with aesthetics. Someone recently wrote a book called Aesthetic Intelligence. Her name is Pauline Brown. And in the book, she, she cites a, st a study that, you know, 85% of your retail decisions are based on your feelings, not on the facts of whether the product works well. That's or really whatever. interesting. Yet, yeah. Marketing teams always, you know, you see lots of commercials where they're showing you this, how well this product works. And right. when it comes down to it, oftentimes you're just... You're just wowed by something. Once, well, I mean, the idea is once you get down to like the, the right uh, cost and then the basic functions, then when you when you get down to two or three objects, at that point, it comes down to the aesthetics of it as which one you're going to choose. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as you're talking about these various different areas of life, right, whether it's marketing or, as you mentioned, uh, even prisons or um, any number of things. Why, uh, aside from your own just kind of personal interest in aesthetics, why is it important to consider aesthetics in these other fields? Most of the literature, most of the research that's done, most of the writing that's done when talking about aesthetics is mostly dealing with art um, or, you know, things that, you know, whether or not they should be considered art and then they're kind of you know what what goes into the aesthetic appreciation of these particular things why why kind of expand that where where where, where is it that you think we kind of as a community as as humanity need to maybe take a look at aesthetics outside of just the art context yeah i think um i think one of the answers to this is Whatever it is you're doing or presenting, aesthetics just makes it better. <laughs> yeah. And one of my examples actually comes from art, but I think this basic principle can apply uh, more broadly. So most people don't seem to think that aesthetics is a necessary component of art. Um, it maybe used to be, right. but now you know the, the you often hear that the attention is more on expression or yep. conveying knowledge. And I can see that, but I don't think it's entirely accurate. And the reason I say that is because I think if your art piece or performance or whatever is not well made in some sense, and that's I'm using that as kind of a stand into like the, a broad idea of aesthetics, right? Uh, no one cares right. <laughs> what message you're trying to convey if yeah. your artwork is terrible. Right. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is people today, and this maybe takes a little bit more into the retail or business world, they're looking more for experiences than to just own stuff. It's a shift right. that I think is that the business world is commenting on. And I think it's important for others to pay attention to that uh, because if you can get people to have a certain kind of feeling about your product, especially if it's correct to say the 85 I actually saw a different business person um i think it was a business professor from harvard say that he actually thinks it's 95 percent wow. based on you. but if you can yeah. get your client or customer to feel a certain way when interacting with your product how much more is your product and your business going to be successful so i think that i think that just 
applies broadly to all areas um, that when you can have the right uh, aesthetic component, it makes whatever it is you're doing that much more appealing. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up the the example of, of people kind of choosing experiences rather than owning stuff, where I think for a significant amount of time now, it was people trying to own stuff, right? If we liked something, we wanted to own it. Uh, now, if we like something, we want to feel it, right? It, it, it mm-hmm. seems like we're, we're shifting in that way. Um, do you think this is just kind of part of the evolution of humanity, or do you think this speaks to something that is actually an essential part of our humanity? I think, you know, the way it's maybe played out, it, I could say it's just part, it's just another stage in the, right. the, the history, but I think it does speak to a basic drive that people have toward aesthetics. I am of the opinion that aesthetic experience is a basic reason why people act. People travel thousands well not right now right (laughs) thousands of miles to see something that they believe will be beautiful um so an example would you know a a particular mountain or a lake or um so all these natural things and then they they pay money to see artwork that they believe will give them some kind of aesthetic experience and when we're in a gallery you know of course we're not all going to have the exact same experience about the same painting or some, right. or sculpture or something, but they believe that this this collection of works, something in there is going to give them the right kind of experience. But I think it goes even more fundamental than that. Those are kind of like the loftier kinds of experiences. People grooming themselves, people cleaning their houses. I think it's there's there's other reasons for doing this by all means, hygiene and, and you know there's right. health. Sure, uh, definitely, but. The reason why people pick out certain shirts or certain whatever else is because they believe they will look good in it. Right. <laughs> Very few people, I think, would. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be curious if anyone makes the argument that they wore something other than to be ironic or something like that right. because they wanted to look ugly. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we all might disagree about which actually thing, you know, which which objects worked or which didn't. Sure. But, but I don't think the motivation there. But I, so I think that we do these things. Um, it's a core motivation. So part of what I also want with something like the Aesthetics Research Lab is to maybe just help us admit it. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know, that we're already doing a lot of these things, yeah. and uh, uh, we should finally give it its place at the table instead of pretending um, that beauty is something that we don't really care that much about. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's really good. Do you think, um, and, and I don't want to take us too far in this direction, but, the, but do you think when, when we find ourselves in a society with the unquestioned assumption, right, of beauty being in the eye of the beholder, does that, is that sometimes a stumbling block to even doing this, right? Why would someone, I, I don't, I don't want to load the question too much, but, but why, it seems like we may lack motivation if we think that at the end of the day, there isn't some commonality in our tastes at some mm-hmm. level, right? At some level saying, uh, uh, you used kind of the, the phrase of being well-made. It seems that we should be able to look at some, and I'm assuming when you say well-made, you mean more than just functionality, right? There, there's something beyond that that we can look at as human beings and say, this is something done well, right? Yeah. I think people like 
the expression beauty is in the eye of the beholder because it's kind of easy Um, and it does feel true to some degree sure yeah but when we really consider taste and how it uh kind of permeates culture and society I just don't think people practice that expression as much as they wish they did. You know, people all the time judge. um, I I think what so I'm writing I'm I'm writing a lot on aesthetic taste. Hopefully, a a book. Um, Excellent. And uh, one of the things that I kind of motivates it for me is all of these um, performance reality television shows where they're either performing on a stage or there are the HGTV shows where they're performing by building a house right. or re, re, uh, renovating or, or whatever. And they have these people that, that the public seems to think they know something that the rest of us don't, yeah. uh, or maybe not, maybe that we don't necessarily not know it. We just, they're, they're, they're qualified experts. Right. Um, they have something that we may even disagree with them, but, very rarely have I ever heard someone say, well, that person's just not qualified. Right. Um, usually it's, I disagree with that judgment. I think they made a mistake. But the fact that we use that kind of language, I think they made a mistake. I think um, when they renovated that house, they should have done this instead of this. When they picked the final person on whatever television show to win the grand prize, right. the person that came in second place actually deserved first place. The fact that we believe those things so passionately seems to suggest yeah. that we don't really think beauty is in the eye of the beholder right. as, as strongly as we want to or we we pretend to sometimes um that doesn't mean it's not somewhat true. right sure i mean yeah there's not that there's some element of subjectivity in, yeah. in yeah there's sure. clearly a subjective component to right. beauty in our sure. experience of it but it doesn't mean that there's absolutely nothing objective about it right. i mean my experiment is tell a uh, a beatles fan that they're overrated right. <laughs> and, see, <laughs> right and see if you survive yeah right no that that's right we we do have this this kind of uh, impulse to 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 persuade right to 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 suggest you've missed something right one of yeah. my professors gave the example you know that if somebody went to the grand canyon you mentioned how people will travel to see this natural beauty if someone went to the grand canyon and said you know what when i got there i realized once you've once you've seen one hole you've seen them all like well that person missed something right that that's that's not it's not just a matter of opinion but there was something missed in the experience by that individual based on their judgment there so yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so you've talked about architecture, which kind of leads into engineering. Um, I, I actually saw one of the posts that you posted on the Aesthetics Research Lab uh, website that talked about engineering and aesthetics. And and I teach at, at a college that is, uh, I think, as many colleges and universities now, uh, very focused on STEM education, um, very focused... Uh, my, my colleagues and I try and push steam, right? We try and get an A in there for aesthetics and art. Why is it that it would be important? Um, and people could certainly check out the website and I'd encourage them to. They can read both your summary and interaction, but also the article um, by Rolf Fasti. This is from a lecture he gave back in 95. 
where he covers this, why might aesthetics be important to something like engineering? Because we talked about marketing and we could see a kind of usefulness there. Uh, people are more likely to buy your product. People are more likely to invest in you if they're feeling something. Um, but why might science, why might engineering um, care about something like aesthetics? It seems like an extra step. It might, some might describe it as superfluous, right? Why? Why do we need that in engineering? I think there's maybe two kind of ideas here. Um, since we're in the uh, age of the coronavirus, I could, I could use that as an example. When coming up with a vaccine, I don't think anyone cares whether it's beautiful. Right. For, sure. for two reasons. One, they want, they just want to not get sick. Right. <laughs> so one very, very practical reason yes. for, for that context, your health seems to override any other desire, but also you don't really see the vaccine. Right. Right. Like, right. No, like other than the medical professionals or scientists that are developing it, we're like, I'm not going to look at it under a, a microscope and be like, you know, this vaccine is one of the most beautiful vaccines I've ever seen. Right. So I think in some contexts, it's maybe not as important. Uh, but I think with something that is public, like certain engineering or architecture structures, I think it's absolutely important. <laughs> to consider the aesthetic components. Um, there have been, there's a recent study, and I, unfortunately I can't remember the name of uh, more about it, but that was just trying to show that a facade of a building that has a little bit of variation, people find it more pleasing to go into that building than a building with, with a plain, boring facade. Right. And so I think it's, I think we owe it to, especially in the world of architecture and, and design and, and any kind of structure that you're making, we owe it to people to consider the aesthetic parts that they're going to see. Now, it may not make a difference what's inside of a wall if it's structurally sound and, and so on. It may, may be the ugliest thing in the world, and that's right. okay. But what's on the outside, I think, certainly matters. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. No, but... yeah. I, I guess when I think about buildings, when I think about structures... It's something that a lot of people will be exposed to, right? You hang a, you hang a painting on a wall, and the people who are going to see it, it's going to be a much smaller number. But when you have a building, right, people, uh, whether they, ha they even know what the purpose of the building is, they're going to be driving by it, walking by it, biking by it, right? This is so, so they're encountering it, and for many people on a daily basis... So for, I'll give you an example um, that uh, may not be super familiar to, to the audience, but um, I lived in Orlando for six years, and the big street, the big highway there is I-4. And so there was this massive building that was erected, and it's probably one of the ugliest things you've ever seen, and it was called the Eyesore on I-4. Um, and, and, and so... Um, you drive by, and some people had to drive by this thing every day. We'd talk about how it became a joke, but it became a joke because of the way it made people feel as they would drive by it every day. And, and so it just seems like, at some level, engineers, uh, architects, uh, people who are working on buildings can really play a major role in the aesthetic experience of everyday life for their community. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I live in Boston. There was a huge yeah. uh, skyscraper that was supposed to go up and there was huge public debate about it. 
And Boston is often thought of as a more human scale city compared to New York. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they were talking about having this gigantic skyscraper that was going to sh- put shade on this one area where people often are outside. And so, of course, money is a driving force. Sure. A lot, as, as a, yeah. a lot of times is. And so there was an article that someone in New, in, um, in New York City wrote that said, why would you want to do that to yourselves, Boston? Like, I'm in New York. That's what we do. We have these giant buildings, but we're just, that's, there's some spaces here that have 30 minutes of sunlight a day and your city has a different kind of feel. Why would you want this gigantic thing here? Um, So I think that part of that is there's a sense in which one of the aesthetic kind of ideas you want when designing and building things is you want things to have a, a certain kind of sense of fitting and yeah. belonging. That doesn't mean you can't do some different things. I don't mean it has to, like, sure. if, if a lot of buildings are a bit, little bit older, you have to always make everything old looking. Right. It, it just means that you have to still have it somehow cohere and fit. And right. so if you have all these small buildings in this one giant thing, yeah. it looks out of place. Sure. And uh, so I think that's where the aesthetics comes in. And I, I kind of just think, I know this is sort of a, maybe a silly part of the response, but I sort of just think, why wouldn't you want this other component into your work and practice? Right. If you can make something and make it look nicer in the process, um, and but I also I'm also not convinced that if you consider certain aesthetic parts, that I think sometimes that can help a designer make something even better right. than than if they weren't considering those things. That's um, that's more of a bold claim that I have. I don't have any sure. direct evidence for. But, right. But well, I, but, well, I, I but the article, the article that you mentioned in your post uh, by Rolf Fasti, uh, Fasti seems to make a similar argument coming from an engineering perspective about how thinking aesthetically in engineering leads to greater creativity. It seems mm-hmm. like those two things kind of go hand in hand. So it's not only that it makes uh, things better kind of in the moment, but the overall projects you end up coming up with, the overall designs, there's more creativity involved because you're asking certain questions that maybe others aren't asking. And, and so yeah. that can lead. No, and I, I think a very important point to make about this is it, you know, especially I know, I know just from my experience in the arts that a lot of people that try to advocate for the arts, they make it sound like, if you decrease or if you don't consider the arts at all, if you, right. uh, whatever, it's, it's a huge issue. And I, for me, I think uh, with aesthetics, it's just one thing to consider among many, but sure. it's one that is often overlooked right. or, or not as much consciously thought about. Um, I know that, you know, one of my, uh, I teach at a Boston architectural college and so I'm one of a few, I'm, I think I'm the only philosopher there, and I'm right. one of a few, um, you know, humanities people. Right. And, uh, but one of colleagues there, she was telling me about, she, she's an architect and she teaches architecture classes. And so she was telling me that, um, you know, sometimes her students, they don't know how to really articulate why they chose design A over design B or something. Right. They often just say, well, because I like it. And you're assuming all the functionality is there and sure, the, sure. those kind of considerations are met. And so it, to me, having that extra step of, um, or I would actually say enhancement <laughs> to your yeah. already existing architect design science just makes you that much more able to articulate how your design works 
in a, in an efficient yet pleasing way. Right. Um, yeah, efficiency can be beautiful, right? It doesn't have to be ugly. And so I think sometimes that's part of the challenge is that sometimes it's seen as uh, something that can get in the way. But I like the way that you phrased it. It's something that can enhance. It's something that takes some, you know, something to to another level. And as you mentioned with the, you know, with the vaccine or with anything else, there's certain things that we're just looking for it to get its job done. There's no need, you know, and, and, um, and I know that even in the exploration of aesthetics, we can say that there's certain things that uh, are not fitting, right, as you mentioned. So you could have a beautiful building, but if it ends up being like a post office, uh, it may have been overdone, right? There, and, and that in itself brings interesting aesthetic questions um, to, to mind. Well, and, you know, and the other one small example, I know um, the this author is not quite as popular in aesthetics, but sure. uh, uh, I still think this example is is on point when discussing aesthetics, and that's um, Roger Scruton. Yes. He, um, he wrote an, ar- an article on architecture in the age of nihilism. Yeah. Something like that. I don't remember if that's the exact title. And he says that, you know, if you have a building that is purely functional and it does its job and it does it, you know, well, whatever the the purpose of that building is, and then whatever the function, the the original function changes. If the building is ugly, it will usually just stay abandoned. That's right. But if the building is beautiful, people will find another use for it. That's right. Yeah. Um, And whether or not that's 100% true. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's a counterexample out there. Of course, but, of course. But um, I think there's something true there. Yes. And uh, I think I think we find you know uh, I think we find uses for things that are beautiful even if they don't serve their original use anymore. Sure. Yeah, I I think we've seen uh, some of that. I, I actually use this as an example to some of my students. Um, if you think about the beautiful churches uh, and cathedrals in Europe. Right, though church attendance is down, different uses for those buildings have, have you know have been developed. Where in the states, where we tend to not have those same kinds of beautiful buildings, I can't imagine people seeking to make sure to restore and to keep the box that once served as a kind of church or you know whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So one thing that you said in, 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 in that recent post in which you're commenting on Fasti's um, article there is uh, you talk about how we tend to ignore our bodies and feelings, uh, thinking that it's a necessary step in becoming more rational. And, and I thought that that was an interesting statement and, and obviously very much kind of as part of that summary of what Fasty was getting at. But I'm, but I'm curious because, as you mentioned, how we tend to make decisions based on our feelings. I know that a lot of people use that as an example of how we aren't as rational as we think we are. But are those two things necessarily against each other? Or can feelings, especially when thinking about aesthetics, be part of that rational process? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I totally think it could be part of the rational yeah. process. I can give you a perfect illustration, I think, from my own life of this. Yeah. For my five-year wedding anniversary, which was a while ago now, right. <laughs> um, I decided, uh, we were talking about different gifts, and I decided I would get um, a new leather bag. And right. so we were just sort of looking around uh, on the internet just to kind of get a sense of what I would 
what I wanted. And we sure. had a we had a particular price range in mind. Right, right. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, we went, we clicked the page, and there was this bag, and my wife actually gasped. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was it partly it was it was the bag itself right it was the way they presented it in the photo sure and I, it ended up being more expensive by a lot right but it's a company that warranties their bags for life okay and so and we've already taken advantage of that because they used to use this metal for the the hooks or the clasps that right. was not as not as good and so okay. we sent we sent two of our bags back and they replaced them for free so they they honor all that yeah uh, so the gasp was what got us to sort of up our budget for right this, sure, um, sure. And, and choose it but we could argue that there's a rational decision here i mean i've, I've owned lots of bags in my day and they even even leather ones from from companies at department stores that you would think is higher quality and they just don't last right. yeah <laughs> so we could say that there's a rational decision there too that right. it, it 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 enhanced my you know rational decision making right. that the bag had functionality all the things i wanted it also is very aesthetically pleasing yeah. and so i think i think you could argue that you combine those feelings and i don't i don't i definitely don't think feelings should be ignored I think they're a very important part of our decision making, but I think the bigger issue is to be aware of them. Right. Because yeah. I think when we when we think we're making rational decisions and ignoring our feelings, oftentimes we're still going with our feelings. Right. We just want to find a way to rationalize. We're it. blind to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really helpful. Well, Michael, we've come to the end of our time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel oh, like it's kind of flown by. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you just point our audience to maybe your website for the Aesthetics Research Lab? And and uh, I know that you, you post a lot of great things on Twitter as well, so uh, people may want to check out your Twitter handle. But um, what website can they go to to maybe see some of your posts and some of the work that's being done? Sure. Uh, so my website is aestheticsresearch.com, and my Twitter handle is at M-R-S-P-I-C-H-E-R. So right. just my initials and then my last name, Spiker. <laughs> okay, great. And I will put both of those in the show notes for our audience. Um, so again, thanks a lot for um, just spending the time and uh, talking to us about what I think is a very important uh, subject for us. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Signature of Man podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, leave a review, and share it out on social media. You can also email any comments or questions to thesignatureofman at gmail.com.